Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good. Well, let me can, start by saying that. We can see you, too, I, Senator. You look great. It's, a, it's my thick head of hair. That's what does it. But I, I want to say that I, I recognize the challenging position that uh, the social media companies are in. You know, your platforms host much of the news in America and actually the world used to stay informed. So you're on the front line of both domestic and foreign disinformation campaigns. And you have to balance American ideals like freedom of speech. You have to limit hate speech. You have to limit dangerous misinformation. That's a significant challenge. I, I saw one of the people who came here to demonstrate last weekend in Washington saying they were there because uh, they had found out that China had uh, one minute before the polls closed, dumped millions of votes for Joe Biden. And somebody said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, it, it, it was on the internet. It's gotta be accurate. But now your, um, your platforms have taken some positive steps. But I mentioned that one thing and I hear from people all the time that stop me with some of these uh, misinformation, sometimes very dangerous misinformation, they've gotten it from your platforms. And I have to think you can and must do better. You know, our security, I think even our democracy, understanding a basic truth depends upon you doing a better job. President Obama described the escalating erosion of the acceptance of facts, of science, of clear evidence as Truth decay. Well, it's a, you know, without facts, it's hard to imagine how a government by and for the people can exist. Your platforms can bring people together. I think often they act as a form of, of uh, driving people apart. Now, uh, this election, President Trump has emerged as the most prominent distributor of false and misleading election information. He still does it. It's nothing short of propaganda. Without evidence, he routinely claims the election was rigged, says the states actually cheated and fixed the results, he even claims that millions of Trump votes were deleted. And he's doing that while his own Department of Homeland Security is saying the election was the most secure in American history. And there's no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was any way compro uh, compromised. That's what our own U.S. government is saying. When the head of government, the president, is saying just the opposite. So I, it may make him feel better about the fact that he, he lost badly. But we shouldn't have to put up. So I, I have a question for both of you. Is Facebook or Twitter conducted an in-depth post-mortem review of election misinformation spread on your platform? Not just what you label, but how far the misinformation reach. Have you done that kind of a post-mortem? Senator, we will do that analysis. And also, we are commissioning and working with independent academics to enable them to do the studies 
themselves and to publish what they find without any um, intervention or permission required from Facebook. Thank you, and we and we are doing the same, uh, including opening up our APIs to researchers to make sure that um, others are able to see what we may not we may not see ourselves. Will that be made available to us? Can other people see that uh, results of that uh, that study you're going to do? Both of you, I'd ask. Senator, yes, the academic research is going to be public, and the academics are going to be able to. Uh, publish this themselves without um, even having to get Facebook's approval for what they publish. Thank you. Mr. Dorsey? And we'll make our reports and findings public as well so everyone can learn. I'll look forward to reading them. And I'm, I'm actually, one member of the Senate will actually read them. So thank you. Because, uh, you know, you look at some of the things that went on. There was a I know uh, Senator Blumenthal and others have raised this question about the Steve Bannon putting on a a video. Think of what it did. It called for the murder, the beheading of Dr. Fauci and the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray. Just think what that does. I mean, uh, the FBI director travels with security all the time. Dr. Fauci and his family are private citizens. They're calling for their beheading. And it was seen by, I think, uh, 200,000 people on, on Facebook. Well, now, if you're going to have somebody threatening to murder somebody, what do you do, what do, you do about that? I mean, how do you catch that in a hurry? Because, I mean, I was a prosecutor. I, I prosecuted murderers and we didn't have to face this kind of threat at that time but what do you do when thousands of people see a threat go murder somebody in that case that content violated our policies and we we took it down um and as has been the subject of some of the other questions if if um if someone had multiple offenses like that we would remove their whole account um well that, that i'm sure that's uh uh, the threat that if they do more, if they multiple times say go out and murder somebody, cut off their head, you know, we're going to face a real problem. Uh, Facebook will take down our posting. Oh my goodness, what a deterrent. Uh, so, Senator, what we try to do is identify content that violates our policy before anyone in the community has to see it or even report it to us. Um, and for some categories like terrorism, which I, I, I've cited before, um, you know, about 98 or 99 percent of the content that went down, um, RAI and, and human systems find before anyone even has to report to us. On hate speech, um, we're up to 94 percent of the content that we take down our AI systems and and uh, content reviewers find it before people have to report it to us. What we try to drive on a more effectiveness is uh, basically finding more and more of that harmful content earlier before it is seen broadly across our system. Well, let, me, let me ask you about that because, uh, you know, we've had these discussions before. I'm deeply concerned about Facebook's role in spreading hate, hate speech in uh, Myanmar. 
hate speech that helped fuel a genocide against the Muslim uh, Rohingya people. And I mean, horrible. I've seen the picture. I've seen happen the genocide. Now, you've made some progress about this since you and I talked about it last. But my understanding is that Facebook shuts down specific accounts that violate your content-related policy, but then that user can, of course, just create a new account. In Myanmar, for example, on October 8th, Facebook took down 38 inauthentic accounts created and controlled by members of my military in part to promote anti-Rohingya content. And I compliment you for doing that. But the Myanmar military just turned around and created new accounts to promote the same content. So in some way, you got a whack-a-mole uh, problem here. But is there a way that we can, you can, um, stop these things, not just at the account level, but at the user level. And I use that as an example because people are being murdered in a systematic uh, uh, genocide. Uh, uh, please answer Senator Lee's question, then we'll need to move on. But go ahead. But, well, and I'm sorry to take long, but, but the previous questioner took all his time plus you know, all the no, time that's been allotted to me. Yeah, no, no, we're at two and a half minutes and let's just wrap it up, but go ahead and answer the question. Senator, you're correctly pointing out that we did uh, disable certain generals in the, in the Myanmar military as dangerous figures and they are not allowed to sign up for new accounts. But uh, as you point out, these kind of integrity problems are not ones that there's a silver bullet or where you can ever fully solve them. You will, we will always be working to help minimize the prevalence of harm um, in the same way that a city will never eliminate all crime. Um, you try to uh, reduce it and, and get it and, and have it be as little as possible. Um, and that's what, what we try to do through a combination of building AI systems to identify uh, harmful content up front, hiring uh, thousands of people and tens of thousands of people to do content review, and partnering with uh, organizations, whether it's in the intelligence enforcement, election officials, or in Myanmar, um, local civil society to help us uh, flag things that we should be aware of and, and, and on high alert about. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'll have some questions for the record for both of uh witnesses. Thank you very much, Senator Lee. I appreciate that. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Facebook and Twitter and Google have massive power. They have a monopoly on public discourse in the online arena. I will say it's dismaying listening to the questions from our Democratic colleagues, because consistently the message from Senate Democrats is for Facebook and Twitter and Google to censor more, to abuse their power more, to silence voices that Senate Democrats disagree with more. That is very dangerous if we want to maintain a free and fair democracy, if we want to maintain free speech. There was a time when Democrats embraced and defended the principles of free speech. There was a time when Democrats embraced and defended the principles of a free press. 
And yet there's an absolute silence from Democrats speaking up for the press outlets censored by big tech. There's an absolute silence for Democrats speaking out for the citizens silenced by big tech. Instead, there is a demand, use even more power to silence dissent. And that's a totalitarian instinct that I think is very dangerous. At the same time that big tech exercises massive power, it also enjoys massive corporate welfare. The act of section third, a special immunity from liability that nobody else gets. Congress has given big tech, in effect, a subsidy while they become some of the wealthiest corporations on the face of the planet. Mr. Dorsey, I want to focus primarily on Twitter and ask you initially, is Twitter a publisher? Is Twitter a publisher? Yes. No, we are not. We, we distribute information. So what is a publisher? Um, uh, an entity that is publishing under editorial guidelines and decisions. Well, your answer happens to be contrary to the text of federal statute, particular section 230, which defines an information content provider as any person or entity that is responsible in whole or in part for the creation or development of information provided through the internet or any other interactive computer service. Let me ask you, was Twitter being a publisher when it censored the New York Post? No, we have very clear policies on um, the conduct we enable on the platform. Um, and if there's a violation, uh, we take an enforcement action and people choose to commit to those policies and, and to those terms of service. Except your policies are applied in a partisan and selective manner. You claim it was hacked material, yet you didn't block distribution of New York Times story that alleged to talk about President Trump's tax return, even though a federal statute makes it a crime to distribute someone's tax returns without their consent. You didn't block any of that discussion, did you? Our policy was focused on distribution of the actual hack materials. Did, did you and block the, the discussion York of the president's tax return material? And in the New York Times case, uh, we interpreted as reporting about the hack material. Did, did you block Edward Snowden when he, he re illegally released? Um, um, I'm, I, I don't have the answer to that. The answer is no. You haven't used this in a selective matter. Let me ask you, were you being a publisher when you forced Politico and other journalists out to take down their tweets on a topic that you deemed impermissible? No, we were enforcing our policy and our terms of service. So October 15th, Jake Sherman, a reporter at Politico, tweeted the following. I tweeted a link to the New York Post story right after it dropped yesterday morning. I immediately reached out to the Biden campaign to see if they had any answer. I wish I'd given the story a closer read before tweeting it. Twitter suspended me. So you actually have a reporter reporting on a story, asking the other side for comment. And Twitter says, hi, Jake Sherman, your account at Jake Sherman has been locked for violating Twitter rules. Now, what did the what did the Politico reporter do? Immediately tweets after that. My goal was not to spread information. Well, that's a little worrisome just on an, in and of itself. My goal was to raise questions about the story. Oh, my overlords in Silicon Valley, I was attacking the New York Post. You don't understand. I was attacking them, as I did in subsequent tweets, and see how the Biden campaign was going to respond. They later did respond. And then 
not long after, uh, Jake Sherman comes back with, my account is clearly no longer suspended. I deleted the tweet. When Twitter is editing and censoring and silencing, the New York Post, the, four, the newspaper with the fourth highest circulation in the country, and Politico, one of the leading newspapers in the country, is Twitter behaving as a publisher when it's deciding what stories reporters are allowed to write and, and publish and what stories they're not? No, and that account was not suspended. Um, it fell afoul of the hacked materials policy. Um, we realized that there was an error in that policy and the enforcement. Hold we on, I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking hours. at the tweet from Twitter that says your account has been locked. You're, you're telling me that this is not an that's accurate- a, That's a lock, that's a lock and can be unlocked when you delete the- I, I understand that you have the star chamber power. Your answer is always, well, once we silence you, we can choose to allow you to speak, but you engage in publishing decisions. Let me shift to a different topic. Mr. Dorsey, does voter fraud exist? I, I don't know for certain. Are you an expert in voter fraud? No, I'm not. Well, why then is Twitter right now putting purported warnings on virtually any statement about voter fraud? We're, we're simply linking to a broader conversation so that people have more information. No, no, you're not. You put up a page that says, quote, voter fraud of any kind is exceedingly rare in the United States. That's not linking to a broader conversation. That's taking a disputed policy position. And you're a publisher when you're doing that. You're entitled to take a policy position, but you don't get to pretend you're not a publisher and get a special benefit under Section 230 as a result. That link is pointing to a broader conversation with tweets. Um, from publishers and people all around the country. Mr. Dorsey was following a statement by Twitter's policies. Quote, absentee ballots remain the largest source of potential voter fraud. Uh, I imagine that we would label it so that people can have more context. In okay. How about this quote? Quote, third party organizations, candidates and political activists uh, Voter fraud is particularly possible where, quote, third party organizations, candidates, and political party activists are involved in, quote, handling absentee ballots. Would you flag that as potentially misleading? I don't, I don't, you know, know the specifics of how we might enforce that, but I imagine um, a lot of these would, would uh, have a label pointing people to a bigger conversation. Well, you're answer. right. You would label them because you've taken the political position right now that voter fraud doesn't exist. I would note both of those quotes come from the Carter Baker Commission on Federal Election Re Reform. That is Democratic President Jimmy Carter and former Secretary of State James Baker. And Twitter's position is essentially voter fraud does not exist. Are you aware that just two weeks ago in the state of Texas, a woman was charged with 134 counts of election fraud. Are you aware of that? I'm not aware of that. If I tweeted that statement with a link to the indictment, would you put a warning on it that says, well, the Democratic Party position right now is voter fraud doesn't exist? I, I, I just used to get in the hypothetical, but I don't believe so. You, you don't believe so? Well, we're going to test that because I'm going to tweet and we'll see what we put on it. All right. Yesterday, Mr. Dorsey, you and I spent a considerable amount of time on the phone, and you said that you wanted to embrace transparency. So I want to ask you, I've asked Twitter, I've asked Facebook multiple times, how many times have you blocked Republican candidates for office, their, their tweets or their posts in, in 2016, in 2018, in 2020? 
How many times have you blocked Democratic candidates, uh, candidates for office? How many times have you blocked Republican office holders? How many times have you blocked Democratic office holders? Twitter has repeatedly refused to answer that question with specific hard data and, 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 and cataloging the examples. In the interest of transparency, which you said you want to embrace, will you commit in this hearing right now to answer those questions in writing? That's exactly what we want to do. Sorry, Mr. Dorsey. That's exactly what we're pushing for as we think about building a 230. Is that a yes that will answer those questions in writing? Transparency, not just of outcomes, but also our process as well. Is that a yes that you will answer those questions in writing? We'll, we'll certainly look into it and see what we can and, do. And actually answer them and not give lawyerly doublespeak about why you're, you're not going to give specifics. Answer them. Will you commit to this committee that you will answer those questions? We're going to work to answering broader transparency around outcomes. All right, that's a no. Mr. Zuckerberg, how about you? Will you commit that Facebook will answer those specific questions, cataloging the number of instances in which Democrats in, in 16, 18, and 20 have been silenced versus the number of instances in which Republicans have been silenced on Facebook? Senator, I'm not sure if we have that data available, but I will follow up with you or your team. Okay, I'm going to take that as a yes, and I'm going to take Twitter. We'll see if it's a yes or transparency August if we don't intend to provide. Senator Durbin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We live in a dangerous world. Issues of national security, the worst pandemic, public health crisis in modern times in America, and we are being challenged as to whether there's going to be a peaceful transition of power in America in the presidency. At that moment in time, we decided none of those topics were important. And what was important was to determine whether or not social media was discriminating against Republicans. It's an interesting question. I think there are more important and timely questions. We have a recount underway in Georgia. We have allegations made by the election officials there where they, the Republican allegations, Republican election officials, where they have faced literally death threats. We are trying to determine whether or not the social media instruments of America are fair to the Republican Party. I'm trying to struggle with this issue because I want to put it in a context and maybe I can't. Maybe it's this is unique. We certainly know what the Constitution says when it comes to free speech. And we know what it meant over the years, uh, New York Times versus Sullivan and others with publications. Uh, we certainly didn't suggest that anyone that used a telephone line for nefarious, illegal, banned activity somehow implicated the telephone company in, into it by, by its nature. And then came radio and TV, and we had to come up with new rules in terms of, at one time, equal time, fair content, and so forth. Uh, and now we have this new, relatively new mechanism of communicating information, and we're trying to determine what to do with it, whether to treat it like a newspaper publishing or treat it like some sort of a communications network alone. Section 230 is an attempt to do that, and I'm sure everybody finds fault with 
I'd like to ask each witnesses if they would comment on the historical uh, aspects of this particular debate. If they have any thoughts, Mr. Zuckerberg. Senator, one of the, the points in the discussion that, that, that I find interesting is people ask if the regulatory model should be more like uh, kind of the news industry or more like telcos. But from my perspective, these platforms are, are a new industry and should have a, a different regulatory model that is distinct from either of those other two. Um, I think it is not the case that uh, we are like a telco and that there are clearly uh, some categories of content, whether it's terrorism or child exploitation, that people expect us to uh, to, to moderate and and, um, and, and address. Uh, but we're also clearly not like a news publisher in that we don't create the content and we don't choose up front uh, what, we, what we publish. Uh, we give people a voice to be able to publish. So I do think that we have uh, responsibilities and uh, it, it makes sense for there to be liability for some of the content that is on the platform. Um, but I don't think that the analogies to these other industries that have been created previously um, will ever be kind of fully the right way to look at this. I think it deserves and need its own regulatory framework um, to, to get built here. Thank you. Would the other witness care to respond? From a historical perspective, um, 230 has created um, so much goodness and innovation and, uh, you know, if we didn't have those protections when we started Twitter 14 years ago, we could not start. And that's what we're most concerned with is making sure that we continue to enable new companies uh, to contribute to the Internet, to contribute to conversation. Um, and we do have to be very careful and thoughtful about changes to 230 because um, going one direction might box out new competitors and new startups um, going another might create a demand for um, an impossible amount of resources to handle it. And going yet another might encourage even more um, blocking of voices or, or what's being uh, raised here, which is uh, censorship of voices and so, changing the internet dramatically. So, let's so, go ahead. so I, I, I believe that we can build upon 230. I think we can um, make sure that we're earning people's trust by encouraging more transparency around content moderation in our process of it. I think we need much more straightforward appeals. And I think the, the biggest point to really focus on going forward is algorithms and how they are managing and creating these experiences and being able to have choice in how to use those algorithms on platforms like ours. Let me get into a specific, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg. Uh, October 10th, Detroit Free Press reported 13 men charged Thursday in a conspiracy to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer used Facebook and secure messaging apps to connect and plot their attack. The group's use of Facebook spans almost a full year. Members began to use the social media platform as a recruitment tool in November 2019, according to an affidavit by Brian Russell, De Detective Sergeant, Michigan State Police. Once recruited, members communicated via a secured encrypting message platform. 
According to news reports, Facebook alerted the FBI about the Michigan kidnapping online activity several months before the arrest. Thank goodness. However, in August, a Facebook page for the Kenosha Guard Militia, which advocated violence in the aftermath of the shooting of Jacob Blake, was reportedly flagged over 455 times to Facebook. However, the page was deemed non-violating and left up. More than 4,000 people responded to that event. Hundreds of armed militia members showed up. A member of this group, a teenager from Illinois, later shot and killed two people on the streets of Kenosha. Mr. Zuckerberg, you described Facebook's handling of this militia page as an operational mistake. Can you explain the exact reason why the Kenosha militia page was not taken down? Senator, yes, and, and first, and what happened in Kenosha was was obviously terrible. Um, what what happened here was we rolled out a strengthened policy around militia pages in in general. Um, whereas before that, we would have allowed um, a, a group that was a militia as long as it wasn't planning or organizing violence directly. In the lead up to the election, we uh, strengthen the policy to disallow more of those groups because we were on high alert and we're, we're treating this situation as very volatile around potential civil unrest around the election. Um, we just put that policy into place and um, for a number of reasons it had um, not yet been fully rolled out and, and all of the content reviewers um, across the company hadn't been fully trained on that so uh, we made mistakes in assessing um, whether that, that group should be taken down. But upon appeal, when it was escalated to a more senior level of, of, um, of content review folks who have more specific expertise in these areas, um, we recognized that it did violate the policy and we, we took it down. Um, it, it was a mistake. Um, it's, it, it was certainly an issue and we're, we're debriefing and, and figuring out how we can do better. Although one other piece that I would add is that um, the the uh, uh, person who, who carried out the shootings um, was not in any way connected to um, that page or linked to, to any of the content there from anything that we or, or others can tell. Mr. Chairman, if I can ask one more question. Uh, yesterday, the FBI released its annual hate crime incident report. The report found that more people were killed in hate-motivated violence in 2019 than any year since the FBI began collecting hate crime data in 1990. The report also found that race-based hate crimes remain the most common type of hate crimes last year and documented increase in religion-based hate crimes, anti-Hispanic hate crimes, and hate crimes targeting individuals based on gender identity. Given these statistics, it appears to me that it's more important than ever for social media companies to combat hate on their platforms and I might add to one, one of my colleagues who stated earlier, this is not Antifa, but these are documented hate crimes from FBI. Muslim advocates, uh, Muslim have reached out to many times Mr. Zuckerberg about this issue relating to published content uh, that reflects on certain religious groups. And you said at a hearing, you do not allow face hate crimes on Facebook. Yet in May 2020, the Tech Transparency Project found more than 100 American white supremacist groups, many of them explicitly anti-Muslim, active on the platform, both on their own group pages 
as well as auto-generated content. Facebook did nominally alter some of the content, but the hate groups largely remained. Are you looking the other way, Mr. Fred Zuckerberg, in a potentially dangerous situation? No, Senator. This is incredibly important, and, and we take uh, hate speech as well as incitement of violence extremely seriously. Um, we, we banned more than 250 uh, white supremacist organizations and treat them the same as, as terrorist organizations around the world. And we've ramped up our uh, capacity to identify hate speech and incitement to violence before people even see it on the platforms. Our AI and, and human review teams, um, is you, you can track our results in the transparency reports that we issue, um, now take down about 94% of the hate speech uh, that we find on our platforms before anyone even reported to us, um, which is a dramatic amount of progress from where we were a few years ago, um, where when we were just starting to ramp up on this, um, we're, we're taking 20% of it on before people had to report it to us. So there's still more progress to make. Uh, we're very invested in this, and uh, you have my commitment that that we view this as uh, the, an issue of the highest severity and one that we are we are very focused on. Thank you very much. Senator Sass. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, thank you, Mr. Singh. Uh, really important topic around content moderation. I'm uh, a skeptic uh, of the content moderation policies that exist because I don't think the standards are very transparent and I don't think the execution is very consistent. Um, that said, I'm more skeptical than a lot of my colleagues, I think on both sides of the aisle, about whether or not there's a regulatory fix that will make it better instead of worse. Um, I especially think it's odd uh, that so many on, in my party are zealous to do this right now when you would have uh, an incoming administration of the other party that would be writing the rules and regulations about it. Um, and I think it's telling that a number of folks on the other side of the dais, I think of Senator Blumenthal, uh, a guy I like, but who seemed to almost be giddy about the prospect of a new government regulatory agency to police uh, online speech. Uh, and I think a lot of people on my side should take pause at the idea that so many on the other side of the aisle are excited about having the next administration get to write these rules and regulations. But um, to, the, to the broader question, first, just to get to kind of a level set, and I want to thank both the witnesses for being here today. But when Senator Lee lays out some of the issues he did about, um, you know, just the every human community is going to be situated in a different place about policy uh, commitments and, and priorities and beliefs. But when uh, Senator Lee said that 93% of Facebook employees who contribute to politics uh, do so on the left and 99%, uh, I think it was, of Twitter employees contribute on the left, I, I would just be interested to see if either of the two of you think that has implications in the shepherding of your organizations. Again, I recognize fully um, that you're private organizations. And so again, I'm more skeptical of a governmental fix for a lot of the problems we're talking about here today. But I just, I'm curious as to whether or not Mr. Zuckerberg and Mr. C, and I guess I'll start with Facebook, I'm curious as to whether or not you think it's likely uh, that there is systemic bias inside your organization, uh, the execution of content moderation policies, given that your employee base is so unrepresentative of America in general? Senator, I, I think it's a good question. And certainly, uh, I think it means that we have to be more intentional about what we do and, and thoughtful. Um, our principal 
and, and goal is to give everyone a voice and to be a platform for all ideas. Um, as you mentioned, I do think it's undisputed that um, our employee base, at least the, the full-time folks, um, uh, politically would be um, somewhat or, or maybe more than just a little somewhat um, to the left of where our overall community is, where, where the community um, basically spans uh, almost a wide varieties of people across society. So I do think that that means that we need to be um, careful and intentional internally to make sure that bias uh, doesn't seep into decisions that we make. Um, although I'd, I'd point out a couple of things. One is that um, you know people have a lot of different views outside of work, and we we expect and 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 I think generally see that people conduct themselves professionally. Um, and second, the folks who are doing the content review work, we have about thirty five thousand people doing content review are typically not based in, in Silicon Valley. Um, they're based in places all over the country and um, all over the world because we, we serve uh, people in, in countries all over the world. So I think that the geographic diversity of that um, is, is more representative of the community that we serve uh, than, than just the full-time employee base in our headquarters in the Bay Area. Thanks, Mr. Zuckerberg. Mr. Dorsey. Yeah, I, I um, you know, this is obviously not something we we interview for, um, and uh, even have you know an understanding of when when people are in the company, um, and with that understanding, we intend to make sure that our, both our policy um, and our enforcement uh, is effective. And uh, I realize that uh, it looks rather opaque, and uh, certainly the outcomes might not always match up with that intention, with our intention, um, and the perception of those outcomes will, may not match up. But that's why I think it's so important that we're not just transparent around our policies, but the actual operations of our content moderation. If people don't trust our intent, if people are questioning that, that's a failure. And that is something that we need to fix and intend to fix. And I think it would benefit the industry as well. But I do, again, point back to um, something I said earlier on the testimony, which is a lot of these decisions are not being made by humans anymore. They're being made by algorithms. And that's certainly enforcement decisions, but also decisions around what you see or what you don't see. And to me, that is the body of work. That is the conversation that we should be focused on because that is the enduring uh, use case for everyone who interacts with these services. Thank you, and I, I I wish it were true um, that this would all that these were easy you know, objective questions that the questions were if somebody says is the sky green um, that's an objective question that the sky is blue and white not green um, but most of the things we're talking about here and places where you're applying. Uh, content moderation labels are not really simply objective questions. They're mostly subjective questions. Um, if, if we talked about Medicare for all being, you know, easily paid for inside a 10-year budget window uh, on assumptions X, Y, and Z that don't raise taxes, um, that's not true. There isn't any math by which Medicare for all pays for itself in some short-term window. But I don't think any of us really think you're going to slap a label on that saying this is disputed, you know, accounting or math or policy projections. And so really what's happening is 
there's a prioritization grid that people are going through as they build even the algorithms, even those that aren't driven by humans, and they're driven by policy priorities of situated individuals. I may be wrong about this, but my suspicion is that your employee base is not actually 99% left of center. I bet it's less than that. Uh, and I would speculate that part of the reason uh, less than 1% of your employees give money to candidates on the right is because there's a social stigma attached to having conservative views inside your organization. And I would guess that those same sort of um, internal cultural biases inform the subjectivity of which issues end up labeled. So again, this is sort of an odd place to be uh, in that I am skeptical that the content moderation policies are thought out well. They're not transparent enough for us to really know, um, but I'm definitely skeptical that they're consistently applied and yet I'm not really on the side of thinking there's some easy governmental fix here. There's a lot about Section 230 that we could debate. I think some of the things Senator Durbin said about how uh, in the era of telephones, uh, nobody blamed the phone company uh, for other people having spread misinformation by the phone. Exactly, that's what would be the case if Section 230 were actually neutral, but you're applying content moderation policies and seemingly in a way that's not objective. So I know that I'm, I'm nearly at time, but I think it would be useful for us to hear from both of you to give a sort of three or five year window into the future. If there isn't new legislation, what is changing besides just saying we're moving from humans to more AI? What qualitatively is changing in the way content moderation happens inside your organizations short of a new regulatory scheme? Can you, can you tell us where you think you're actually improving and what problems you're trying to solve? Mr. Zuckerberg, you first, please. Senator, one of the areas that we're very focused on is transparency, um, both in the process and in the results. So we're already at the point where uh, every quarter we issue a community standards enforcement report that basically details um, the prevalence of, of each category of harmful content and uh, how effective we are at uh, addressing it before people have to even report it to us. Um, over time, we would like to fill that out and have more detail on that and make it more robust. We've already committed to um, an independent external audit of those metrics that people can trust them even more. Um, people have lots of different kinds of requests for where we might go with that in the future, uh, whether that's breaking down the, um, the stats by, by country or, or language or um, into more granular buckets, um, adding more data around precision. But I think that that would all be very helpful um, so that people can see and hold us accountable for how we're doing. And for what it's worth, I think that that would be a valuable part of a regulatory framework that uh, would not feel particularly overreaching to me um, is something that could be put in law um, that would create an apples to apples framework that all companies in this space would have to report on uh, the outcomes and effectiveness of their programs in that way. So at least we can see uh, how everyone is doing. Uh, that seems like a, a sensible step to me. Thank you, Mr. Dorsey. Senator Whitehouse. Oh, sorry, Mr. Dorsey, still answering the same question, and then I'll, I'll give it back to you in a hurry, Mr. So Lake. sorry, I missed that. It, it's a junior acting chairman. Mr. Dorsey. Um, thank you. Uh, well, I mean, if we're, if we're considering three to five years out, I, mean, I, I think the realization that um, a centralized global um, content moderation system does not scale, and we need to rethink uh, how, we, um, how we operate these, these services. And, I would point to, we certainly need transparency around any process that we have and uh, around the practice and the outcomes of those moderations. 
Um, but I think having uh, more control uh, so that uh, individuals can moderate themselves, uh, you know, pushing the power of moderation to the edges and to our customers and to the individuals using the service is something we'll see more of. And I also believe that having more choice around how algorithms are altering my experience and creating my experience is important. So being able to turn off ranking algorithms, being able to choose different ranking algorithms that are found um, written by third-party developers and somewhat of an algorithmic uh, marketplace, I think uh, is important and um, uh, a future that would excite and, and energize us. Thank you, Evan. I've appreciated my interaction with both of your companies in the run-up to this. And I think both of you said some meaty things there about ways we can move toward greater transparency. So I'll, I'll follow up again. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Whitehouse. Thank you, Chairman. Um, gentlemen, let me start with just a moment's history to give some context to my questions. Um, when the uh, tobacco industry discovered that its product was deadly, it responded to that news with a systematized program of denying uh, that set of facts. The um, upshot for the tobacco industry was not great. <clears throat> it was found in federal court to have been engaged in massive fraud and was put under court order to cease its fraudulent behavior. Um, at around the same time, um, the fossil fuel industry began to run into a similar problem regarding the effects of its product. And it um, picked up the tobacco industry scheme kind of where it left off, including using some of the same individuals, some of the same entities, many of the same methods as the tobacco industry's denial operation. Um, these are persistent, highly motivated, very well-funded and complex information operations, not unlike an, a hostile intelligence service would run. Um, and they are quite secretive. And we're now seeing a new form, I guess you'd call it election denial, happening around our country right now. So um, that's the background that I come at this from seeing. And I'm wondering if each of you see a difference between individual error and basically mass disinformation. Is there a difference between odd people with fringe views who offer personal opinions and an orchestrated plan of deliberate misinformation or disinformation that is driven by motivated interests, whether foreign or domestic? Senator, I absolutely think that there's a difference, and you can see it in the the patterns of of use on the on the platforms. Um, and in our policies and operations, we uh, view these coordinated, inauthentic behavior operations, networks of fake and 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 sometimes combining with real accounts to um, push out a message, but make it seem like it's coming from a different place than it is or might be more popular than it is. Um, this is what we saw the Internet Research Agency out of Russia do um, in 2016. And since then, uh, a number of other governments and private organizations, including some, some companies like what you've mentioned, uh, have engaged in this behavior. Now, the, the good news is that I think that the industry has generally um, gotten its systems to be a lot more sophisticated to defend against that 
uh, in the in the last several years. It's a combination of AI systems that we've built to find networks of accounts that aren't really behaving quite the way that a normal person would, um, coupled with uh, large numbers of content reviewers, sometimes with expertise in counterterrorism or, or counterintelligence, and then some signal sharing, whether it's with the intelligence community, law enforcement, um, different uh, groups that have expertise in different areas, and with other tech platforms. But this is a, a big effort on, on um, I think, all of our sides to make sure that we can defend against this kind of interference, and um, I think we are, we are getting better and better at it. Well, let me um, encourage you to persist. As you know, the last time you were here, um, you were asked about uh, advertising paid for on Facebook uh, denominated in rubles, which was not a very sophisticated scheme to be able to penetrate, but Facebook was unable to penetrate it. And your upgrade uh, from that original setup was simply to allow um, a shell corporation to intermediate between the real actor and not. So. I encourage you to continue to try to make sure that real voices are what are heard on Facebook. Um, Mr. Dorsey, let me turn to you and, and ask you the same question in the context of bots. Uh, Brown University recently uh, did a study that showed that about 25% of all tweets about climate change are generated by bots. Um, most of them obviously push out climate denial as I described that operation. Um, how is Twitter's capacity to um, identify a bot as opposed to a real customer? Well, to build off your, your previous question, um, I, I do think there's a difference, as Mark said, and I, I do think there's a, there are many coordinated campaigns to manipulate the public conversation, um, to divide uh, people all around the world, uh, to confuse and, and, and generally to distract. Uh, and we do have policies and enforcement to prevent as much of this as possible. It is a growing threat um, and it shows no signs of slowing down. Bots are one uh, way that entities do this. Um, sometimes it may look like a bot, but it's actually a human um, that is organized with other humans um, for a particular agenda. So it is challenging. Um, we are doing work uh, right now to better identify on our service. As a, let me um, just interject, Mr. Dorsey, real quick. As a baseline proposition, <clears throat> do you agree that a bot does not deserve a voice on your platform, that it should be actual people and organizations? I, I don't agree with that as a, as a high level. I, I think we should be labeling bots so that people have greater context for what they're interacting with. Fair enough. There are, plen there are plenty of bots on our service that of valuable function, and I wouldn't want to take that away. Um, let me ask both of you, are, and maybe you can supplement this with the uh, answer um, in writing for the record. My time is getting short, and this is a complicated question. Um, but the question is, when does it matter to Twitter, and when does it matter to Facebook to know who the actual entity is who is using your platform? Let me start with you, Mr. Dorsey, since Mr. Zuckerberg went first last time. And um, you can defer to a written answer if you like, because my time's running very short. We'll, we'll, we'll add uh, to this conversation with a written answer, but um, I, I do believe that uh, pseudonymity is important. Um, we have seen its usefulness 
with uh, activists and with whistleblowers. And I think that is critical, um, but certainly there are times and it's, it's judged by severity of, of potential outcomes uh, where we need to uh, dig into identity and, and take actions. We'll follow up with that. And um, let me just ask you, since my time has expired, Mr. Zuckerberg to respond or have your organization respond in writing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before we, uh, Senator Winehouse brought up something very important. And I'm gonna add this as directly as I ask this as directly as I can. To Facebook and Twitter, do you have any internal research or evidence to suggest that your platforms can be addictive? Mr. Zuckerberg. Senator, uh, I think we can follow up with a summary of, of research that we have, but uh, from what I've seen so far, it's inconclusive and most of the research um, suggests that the vast majority of people do not um, perceive or experience these services as, as addictive or have issues. But, but I do think that there um, should be controls given to people to help them manage their experience better. And this is something that we're very focused on. Mr. Dorsey. I'm not aware of internal research, but we can follow up. But I, I do think like anything else, these tools can be addictive and we should be aware of that, acknowledge it and make sure that we are making our customers aware of um, better patterns of usage. Um, so the, the more information, the better here. Thank you, Senator Holler. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. In the late 19th century, the heads of the biggest corporations in America, the robber barons got together and they set rates, they set prices, they determined how they would control information flow, they determined how they get rid of competition. And uh, I'll be darned if we aren't right back there again. Next time you're the robber barons, your companies are the most powerful companies in the world. And I wanna talk about how you're coordinating together to control information. In recent days, my office was contacted by a Facebook whistleblower a former employee of the company with direct knowledge of the company's content moderation practices. And I wanna start by talking about an internal platform called Tasks that Facebook uses to coordinate projects, including censorship. The Tasks platform allows Facebook employees to communicate about projects they're working on together. That includes Facebook censorship teams, including the so-called community well-being team, the integrity team, and the hate speech engineering team who all use the task platform to discuss which individuals or hashtags or websites to ban. Now, Mr. Zuckerberg, you're familiar with the task platform, aren't you? Senator, uh, we use the, the task system for, um, I, I think it's, as you say, for people coordinating all kinds of uh, work across the company, although I, I'm not sure if I'd agree with the characterization specifically um, around content moderation that you gave. Well, uh, let's get into that. So, and let me see if we can refresh your memory and, and provide folks at home watching with an example. Here over my shoulder is an example. It's a screenshot of the task platform in use. You'll notice if the camera zoom in, several references to election integrity throughout on these lists of tasks. Again, this is shared across Facebook sites, uh, company locations, by working groups. What particularly intrigued me is that the platform reflects censorship input from Google and Twitter as well. So Facebook, as I understand it, Facebook censorship teams communicate with their counterparts at Twitter and Google and then 
those companies' suggestions censorship onto the task platform so that Facebook can then follow up with them and effectively coordinate their censorship efforts. Mr. Zuckerberg, let me just ask you directly under oath now, does Facebook coordinate its content moderation policies or efforts in any way with Google or Twitter? Senator, let me be clear about this. Uh, we, uh, we do coordinate on and, and share signals on security related topics. Uh, so for example, if there is um, signal around a terrorist attack or around child exploitation imagery or around a foreign government uh, creating an influence operation, that is an area where the companies um, do share signals about what they see. But I think it's important to be very clear that that is distinct from the content moderation policies uh, that we or the other companies have, where once we share intelligence or signals between the companies, uh, each company makes its own assessment of the right way to address uh, and deal with that information. Well, I, I'm talking about content moderation. I'm talking about individuals, websites, hashtags, phrases to ban. Is it your testimony that you do not communicate with Twitter or Google about content moderation, about individuals, websites, phrases, hashtags to ban? Just yes or no. Do you communicate with Twitter or Google about coordinating your policies in this way? Senator, we do not coordinate our policies. Do your Facebook content moderation teams communicate with their counterparts at Twitter or Google? Uh, Senator, I'm not aware of anything specific, but I, I think it would be uh, probably pretty normal for people to talk to their, their peers and colleagues in the industry. It would be but normal that, that you distinct. don't do it? No, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that I, I, I'm not aware of any particular conversation, but I would expect that some level of, of communication probably happens, ah, but that is different from coordinating uh, what our policies are or our responses in specific instances. Well, fortunately, I understand that the task platform is searchable. So will you provide a list of every mention of Google or Twitter from the task platform to this committee? Senator, that's something that I can follow up with you and your team after on. Well, uh, yes or no, I'm, I'm sure you can follow up with the list, but why don't you commit while I've got you here under oath? It's so much better to do this under oath. Will you commit now to providing a list from the tasks platform of every mention of Google or Twitter? Senator, respectfully, I'm, I'm without having looked into this, I'm not aware of any sensitivity that might exist around that. So I don't think it would be uh, wise for me to commit to that right now. So I, I would no. have to follow how many items on the task platform reflect that Facebook, Twitter, and Google are sharing information about websites or hashtags or platforms that they want to suppress? Senator, I, I, I do not know. Uh, will you provide a list of every website and hashtag that Facebook content moderation teams have discussed banning on the task platform? Senator, again, I would be happy to follow up with you or your team uh, to discuss further how we might move forward on that. But without well, will you commit to it here? You, Senator Cruz and Senator Lee both asked you for lists of individuals, websites, entities that have been subject to content moderation. You expressed doubt about whether any such information exists, but you've also now said that the task website, you've, you've, you've acknowledged the task platform exists, that it is searchable. So will you commit to providing the information you have logged on the task website about content moderation that your company has undertaken? Yes or no? Uh, 
Senator, I think it would be better to, to follow up once I've had a chance to discuss with my team what wow. any sensitivity around that would be that um, th that might prevent um, the, the kind of sharing that you're talking about. But once I've done that, I would be happy to, to follow up. All right. So you won't you won't commit to do it here. We could, of course, subpoena this information, but I'd much rather get it from you voluntarily. But I think let everybody take note that, that Mr. Zuckerberg has now repeatedly refused to provide information that he knows that he has and has now acknowledged that he has that tasks has under us. Let me let me switch to a different topic. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, tell me about Centra. What is the Facebook internal tool called Centra? Uh, Senator, I'm not aware of any tool with that name. Mm. Well, let me see if this refreshes your memory. There's a demonstrative now over my shoulder. Centra is a tool that Facebook uses to track its users, not just on Facebook, but across the entire internet. Centra tracks different profiles that a user visits, their message recipients, their linked accounts, the pages they visit around the web that have Facebook buttons. Centra also uses behavioral data to monitor users' accounts, even if those accounts are registered under a different name. And you can see a shot here, screenshot provided to us of the Centra platform. We blocked out the user's name in the interest of privacy, although you can see this individual's birth date and age when they first started using Facebook, their last login, as well as all manner of trackings. How many different devices have they used to access Facebook? How many different accounts are associated with their name? What accounts have they visited? What photos have they tagged? And on and on and on. Mr. Zuckerberg, how many accounts in the United States have been subject to review and shut down through Centra? Uh, Senator, I do not know because I'm not actually familiar with the name of that tool. I'm sure that we have tools that help us with uh, our, our platform and community integrity work. Um, but I, I am not familiar with that name. Do you have a tool that does exactly what I've described and that you can see here over my shoulder? Or are you saying that that doesn't exist? Senator, I, I'm saying that I'm not familiar with it and that I, I'd be happy to follow up uh, and, and uh, get you and your team the information that, that you would like on this. Um, but I, I'm, I'm limited in what I can, what, what I'm familiar with and can share today. It's always amazing to me, Mr. Chairman, how many people before this committee suddenly develop amnesia. Maybe it is something about the air in the room. Let me ask you this. When a Facebook employee accesses a user's private information, like their private messages or their personally identifiable data, is a record made of that, Mr. Zuckerberg? Sorry, Senator, can you repeat that? Is a record made of any time a Facebook employee accesses a user's private information, personally identify, identifiable information, for example, messages? Is a record made any time a Facebook employee does that? Uh, Senator, I believe so. Does it trigger an audit? Uh, Senator, I think sometimes it, it may. Um, How many audits have been conducted? That? Senator, I do not know the exact number of can audits. Can you give me a list? Um, Senator, we can follow up on, on, on that to, to, to see what would be useful here. Will you, I'm, I'm almost finished, Mr. Chairman. Will you commit to giving us a list of the number of times Facebook employees have accessed users' personal account information without their knowledge? Yes or no? Uh, Senator, we should follow up on what would be useful here. It is of course, in the operations of the company, um, if someone reports something, uh, sometimes necessary for, for people at the company to go review and understand the context around uh, what is happening when, when someone reports something. So uh, this is fairly frequent and is, is a matter of course. We, we do 
uh, have security systems that can detect anomalous patterns to, to flag, um, but we should follow up in more detail on, on what uh, you're interested in. Mr. Chairman, I'll just say uh, in closing that what we have here is clear evidence of coordination between Twitter, Google, and Facebook. Mr. Zuckerberg knows he has the tools to track this, but he, won't, he either doesn't remember or won't commit to letting us see it. We have evidence of Facebook tracking its own users all across the web. Mr. Zuckerberg won't answer questions about it, can't remember the name, isn't sure if the tool is deployed in this way, and won't commit to giving us basic information. I submit to you that this is both totally unacceptable and totally predictable, because it is exactly what these tech companies have done to the American people and to Congress for years now, which is why it is time we took action against these modern-day robber barons. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Klobuchar. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I'm, as you know, the lead Democrat on the antitrust uh, subcommittee, and I'm going to take a little different approach here than Mr. Hawley did when it comes to competition policy, um, because I understand why they might be coordinating when it comes to uh, security. Um, what I want to focus on is what I think we're seeing all over this country, not just in tech. Uh, we're seeing a startup slump. Uh, we're seeing more and more consolidation. Um, and throughout history, we've seen that that is not good uh, for small businesses. It's not good for consumers. And it's not good for capitalism in the end. Even successful companies, even popular companies, and even innovative companies are subject to the antitrust laws of this country. Uh, when I asked Mr. Pichai about this at the Commerce Committee hearing a few weeks ago, he said he told me Google was happy to take feedback. And my response was that the Justice Department already provided feedback in the form of a federal antitrust complaint. And I know there is investigation reportedly going on out of the FTC right now uh, regarding your company, Mr. Zuckerberg. So I want to start with exclusionary conduct uh, regarding excluding smaller competitors by limiting interoperability with the Facebook platform. Uh, the investigation that we saw in the House recently gave us a number of examples of companies, excluded companies, including Vine, Stackla, MessageMe, and Arc. Uh, and my view is this conduct, exclusionary conduct, not only damaged the ability of these smaller businesses to compete, uh, but it deprived customers of convenient access. Um, you're one of the most successful companies, biggest companies in the world, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, Facebook. Um, do you think that this is fair competition or not? with regard to the interoperability and how you've conducted yourself with these other companies? Senator, I'm generally strongly in favor of interoperability and building platform and API access for, for companies to be able to uh, access. Uh, that's why we built the, the Facebook platform in 2007. Um, some of the policies that you mentioned, I, I think, came about because what we were seeing was uh, not necessarily startups, but larger competitors like Google um, and some of our Chinese rivals uh, from trying to access our systems in order to in, use their scale to okay. compete with us better. And it just felt to us like at the time that that wasn't the intent of what we were trying to enable. Okay, but well, we, have, we may have a non-Chinese example here. I just want to know, I know that um, uh, the maybe we could hear from Mr. Dorsey, and I have concerns about Facebook's um, treatment 
of Twitter subsidiary Vine. It's my understanding is that once Facebook recognized Vine as a competitor after Twitter acquired it in 2013, it cut off Vine's ability to interoperate with Facebook so that Vine users couldn't upload their videos to Facebook. And then I think that Twitter shut down Vine in 2016. Mr. Dorsey, could you tell me about the actual impact of Facebook's actions on Vine's business, on Vine's ability to compete, and on your decision to shut down the service? And I know you're not a Chinese company. Well, I don't, I don't know about the, um, the intent on the other side, um, but I know our own experience was uh, we found it extremely challenging um, to compete with Vine um, and uh, ultimately decided that uh, the ball moved past us and we shut it down. Um, again, I don't know the specifics and the tactics and, and, and what was done, but um, we, we did find a very, very challenging uh, market to, to enter, um, even though we existed prior um, to um, some of our peers uh, doing the same thing. Okay, I'm going to move to something else quickly. Instagram and WhatsApp, we have some released internal Facebook emails in which you, Mr. Zuckerberg, uh, wrote that Instagram was nascent, and if they grow to a large scale, they could be very disruptive to us. Uh, and in a later email, you confirmed that one of the purposes of Facebook acquiring Instagram would be to neutralize a competitor. Uh, you wrote the emails that were mentioned in that House report. Is that right, Mr. Zuckerberg? Uh, Senator, I, I believe so, and I've always distinguished between two things, though. One is that uh, we, we had some competition with Instagram in the in the growing space of kind of camera apps and photo sharing apps, uh, but at the time, I don't think we or anyone else viewed Instagram as a competitor, as a kind of large multi-purpose social platform. Um, in fact, people at the time kind of mocked our acquisition because they thought that we um, dramatically spent more money than we should have to acquire something that was viewed as a as, as, as a primarily a camera and photo sharing app at the time. Okay, well, um, and so then here's I, the issue: is though we don't we don't know how it would have done. And when we look at your emails, it kind of leads us down this road as well with WhatsApp uh, that part of the purchase of these nascent competitors. Uh, is to, I'll use the words of FTC Chairman Joe Simons, who just said last week, a monopolist can squash a nascent competitor by buying it, not just by targeting it with anti-competitive activity. So I know that this is a subject of investigation. Uh, maybe we'll be hearing something soon, uh, but I think it's something the committee members better be aware of, not just with Facebook, but what's been going on with these deals that have gone through and how it's had led to more and more consolidation and how we as the Senate, and I just talked to Chairman Graham about this last week, could actually do something about this by changing some of the standards in our laws to make it easier to bring these cases and not just involving tech. So I wanna uh, go to something here at the end, the political ad discussion we had in front of the Commerce Committee, Mr. Zuckerberg. I know you said that Facebook had made over $2 billion on political ads over the last few years. You said this was your quote, relatively small part of your revenue. I know that, but it's a kind of a big part of the lives of politics uh, when that much money is being spent on ads. This is a bill I actually have with Senator Graham um, in yet we have seen these political ads that keep creeping through despite your efforts to police them on your own. And this is why I would so badly like to pass the Honest Ads Act. Uh, one ad that went through, it says, in three battleground states, ballots marked for Donald Trump had been discarded. 
poll, will voter fraud only increase closer to November? So it's stated in three battleground states, paid ad, ballots marked for Donald Trump have been discarded. Uh, this played between September 29th and October 7th, 2020, had up to 200,000 impressions. Um, does this ad violate Facebook's policy? Sorry, can you repeat what the ad was? The ad was an American action news ad. They've advertised a lot of in your platform, and it said in three battleground states, ballots marked for Donald Trump had been discarded. This was pre-election. Uh, Senator, I, I don't know off the top of my head if that specific ad violates our policies. I'd be happy to, to follow up. Okay, could you, uh, would you commit to a policy where actual people's eyes, people could review these ads instead of just being hit with algorithm review? Uh, Senator, we, we do have uh, review and verification of political advertisers before they can advertise. Okay, so does every ad go through a human being? Like uh, the Senator, TVs I don't know do? If every, hmm? I think every, every uh, our policy is that we want to verify the authenticity of uh, anyone who's who's doing political or social issue advertising. Um, and I think it's worth noting that our people reviewers are not in all cases always more accurate than the, um, than the technical okay. system. So, so are I you saying a human being reviews every ad? It's just really yes or no, or I don't know. That's, that's I, I, Senator, I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. Well, we'll follow up then in the written. And then you brought this cease and desist order against NYU for publishing a report uh, that noting over the last two years, Facebook has not properly labeled approximately 37 million in political ads. Um, why would you not support this project? Why would you see desist against them? Senator, is that a project that was scraping the data in a way that might've been- um, That's your definition, the FTC, but the FTC it's- The consent decree that we have. The uh, reason it's happening is we haven't passed the honest ad act. But um, so they're trying, they're not violating privacy. They're trying to get ads so people can see the ads, other campaigns, journalists, everyone. Senator, uh, you know that I support the Honest Ads Act and, and agree that, that, we should, that we should have that passed. And even before that, uh, that we've implemented it across our systems. Uh, but I think in the case that you're referring to, that project was scraping data in a way that we had agreed in our FTC consent decree around privacy um, that we would not allow. So we have to follow up uh, on that um, and, and make sure that we, we take steps to, to stop that violation. Okay, uh, last, Mr. Dorsey, do you think there should be more transparency with algorithms? As part of this is not just, and I'm off of the ads now, I'm, I'm on just generically. Part of this is that People don't know how this data is um, going across uh, the systems and across the platforms, and people basically are buying access. Has been my question. Um, so then, if you say like, "What's the news in the last 24 hours?" Old stuff comes up. Something gone awry from the beginnings of this. Would it be helpful? Do you think if there was more transparency with algorithms? I, I think it would be helpful, but it's technically very, very challenging uh, to enforce that. Um, I think a better option is providing more choice to be able to turn off the algorithms or choose a different algorithm so that people can see 
how it affects one's experience. Okay, thank you. And I ask that both of you look at the bill that Senator Kennedy and I have, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, um, to help uh, the content providers negotiate with digital platforms. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Tillis. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I know you've asked the question a couple of times about whether or not these platforms can be addictive. I, I think they probably can be based on what I've read in, in one of two ways. They could be just the nature of the personality and engagement in a tool that can uh, that they can somehow relate to. Uh, but I also think there's a transactional addiction, and I think you also mentioned social dilemma. Um, I think that's the use of analytics, which I don't criticize uh, among the, the platforms, but it's the use of analytics to addict you to go down a certain path to produce a certain outcome. And that could either be an outcome uh, forming an opinion or an outcome buying something you didn't even think about 30 minutes before you started going down that path. So I think there are things that we've got to look at. And I do agree with uh, Mr. Zuckerberg and Mr. Dorsey. It's not conclusive, but common sense would tell you it's a it's a problem already and it could become a bigger problem. Um, Mr. Zuckerberg, would you, I'd like to go back to the uh, uh, the task platform for a minute. When I looked at the uh, the screenshot that uh, Senator Holly put up, it looked a lot like work management tool. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that and uh, how many people are actually engaged as users on that platform at Facebook? Uh, Senator, yes, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I was a bit surprised by Senator Hall's focus on our task system uh, because all this is, it's a, it's a basic internal project management tool. Um, it's exactly what, what the name uh, sounds like. It's used by companies, uh, by, by, by people across uh, our company thousands of times a day to assign projects and, and track them. Um, and it's used for all manner of different types of, of tasks um, across different people and teams. And uh, do you know roughly how many uh, Facebook uh, either contractors or, or full-time employees are actually users of the task platform? Um, I think that probably the majority of Facebook employees um, and people we work with have some interaction with the task system as, as part of uh, some part of their work. It's, it's basically just a company-wide to-do list. The, uh, uh, the other platform that Senator Holly mentioned was the central platform. You said you weren't uh, familiar with that one, but I think that is something that would be helpful maybe as a follow-up to really understand the nature of that platform. Um, I won't press you on it today because you said you weren't specifically familiar with the name of the, uh, the tool, but I would be more interested in how it's used. But um, Mr. Dorsey, does uh, Twitter have a platform similar to uh, the TAC platform for work management communication among staff? Absolutely. I'm, 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 even the smallest companies use these tools. Use a tool called Jira. I was involved in implementing these in, uh, uh, in my time in technology sector, so I could see why you had these platforms. Uh, but Mr. Zuckerberg, you mentioned you didn't think there was a systematic coordination between Google and, uh, and Twitter, but you could conceive of how people and similar professions you know, may uh, have a discussion, have a relationship, maybe talk about it over a beer. So could you see why, how the, the skeptic 
could see how uh, these platforms could be used across platforms to force certain outcomes. Let's say you had 100 people at Facebook, 100 people at Twitter, and 100 people at Google that all had a, a, a political bent. They get together, they share notes, and then they go back and make decisions that could make it appear like it's a, a, a corporate initiative, but it could be an initiative by maybe some well-intentioned but misguided staff. Can you, could you at least conceive of that being possible? Senator, I, I understand the concern, and I, I think that coordination um, specifically on uh, writing the policies or enforcement decisions uh, could be problematic in the way that you're saying, which is why I really wanted to make sure that it was clear um, that what we do is share signals around um, potential harms that we're seeing, whether it's um, you know specific content in the aftermath of a terrorist attack that people are trying to share virally, so that way if one platform is seeing it, um, another platform can um, can be prepared that it will probably see that content soon too. Um, you know signals around foreign interference in elections. But I think it's quite important that each company um, deals with those signals in the way that um, is in line with their own policies. And that, I think, is different from saying that the companies are kind of coordinating um, uh, to, to figure out what the policy should be. Uh, yeah. I understand what the concern would be around that, and that's why I want to be clear about what we do and don't do there. No, I agree with that. I'd, I'd, uh, I would find it uh, horribly responsible uh, to think that this was some sort of a systematic approach across the platforms, but just with the sheer numbers of people that you all employ now, I could see how some of, uh, of what's been suggested here in the hearing could actually occur with just uh, small groups of people trying to manipulate certain outcomes. I, I, you know, I don't wanna get into details there, except to know that these the task platform, if it's similar to ones that I have experience with, has a lot of logging has a lot of data to where maybe you could do yourself a service by saying, you know, I, I hear what's been suggested here, uh, but in analyzing the interactions between groups of people and seeing maybe some aberrations, some people being more active and more geared towards one outcome or another, it could actually help you alleviate some of our concerns with, uh, with the way these platforms are being manipulated. I'm not going to have time to drill down into uh, some of this, the uh, specific questions. I'm glad that, uh, to hear that you all are open on some regulatory outcome. I will tell you, if you listen to uh, my colleagues on both sides of the aisle today, uh, I fully expect that Congress is going to act uh, in the next Congress, that we're going to produce an outcome. And some people think that that's not possible because that maybe the uh, the uh, Republicans and Democrats are far apart, but if you listen to what they're asking you, they're concerned with a kind of outcome that they didn't like on social media in equal measure. Um, so I do believe that um, you would be well served to come to the table as an, as an industry and identify things. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, I like what you've said about transparency. Um, and Mr. Dorsey, I do think that the algorithms, when you talk about the sheer scale, are probably the, the most sustainable way to go. But we're still going to have to have some confidence. I like your, your concept on choice as well. But um, we're going to have to have more visibility in what's occurred and what's produced certain outcomes, like a Veterans Day post that I did after the election. It was actually after my opponent had conceded. I just uh, posted a picture thinking veterans. And 
uh, for a period of time, I think it was suspended and directing people towards election results. I would like to think if that was a result of an algorithmic decision that my opponent, who almost certainly posted a veterans ad, the other person who's up election got a similar treatment because if they didn't, it would seem to me that uh, there was some other factor in play if these algorithms are being applied to the base of, in that case, uh, uh, political commentary from elected officials or candidates. So uh, I, I view this hearing as an opportunity to seek your commitment on two things. One, I mentioned to you all yesterday, I've got a intellectual subcommittee hearing in the middle of December. I would like to have a, a Facebook and Twitter representative there. I know you're very different uh, platforms, but I think you play very prominently in a hearing that Senator Coons, who's sitting across from me now, would like to have you represented. I think I, I can speak for Senator Coons that that would be helpful, and we'd like to get your commitment uh, to have witnesses for that hearing in the middle of December. Uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, can I get that commitment? Senator, yes, we will make sure that we have uh, the right subject matter expert to join your, your hearing. Thank you. And Mr. Dorsey? We'll follow up um, with determining uh, the best course of action. Thank you. And, uh, and then we'll be following up on uh, a series of questions that I'd like to ask that let me get my head around some of the, uh, the analytics information that I think you almost certainly have and hopefully be willing to uh, share it, but we'll do that in a collaborative way in my office. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. We're gonna take a five minute break. I think our witnesses have requested a break and they certainly have earned it. And uh, if that's okay with you, Senator Coons, we'll come back in about five minutes. Thank you. Always uh, be brave for the masses, people who are.